Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 146 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Dreamer. It's a pleasure to be here with you today on this Saturday, December 24th, 2022. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. This is our final show of 2022. I'm off next week, and I think we're ending the year with a bang. For the last several months, in the lead up to the World Cup, during the World Cup, We've spent a lot of time on this show and overall at OutSports talking about the issues of LGBTQ rights in Qatar. Several weeks back, I had on Dr. Nas Muhammad, a gay Qatari who's now living in San Francisco, and his, uh, and his experiences and the messages that he wanted to get out there about being gay and LGBTQ in Qatar and the utter discrimination and danger that gay people face uh, in Qatar. Um, so I thought, again... It'd be a great way to put the bow in our coverage, and I found uh, the perfect guy to do it. Adam Crafton is an out gay soccer writer for The Athletic, and he wrote the piece that's up right now, Confusion, Exasperation, and Dating Apps, My Month as a Gay Reporter at the Guitar World Cup. Adam covers it all. He downloaded Scruff in Qatar, so he can tell us what the gay dating app scene is like there. He talked to a lot of gay Qataris. He talked to heterosexual Qataris. Uh, he has a lot of great takes on the whole rainbow controversy, the one love armband that FIFA banned. And and just, it's a really interesting article and a really interesting conversation that, as I said, puts the bow on so much that we've talked about. And I think my takeaway is that everything is complex. There's so many shades of gray and you'll find that from reading Adam's piece and by listening to our conversation. Of course, if you want to listen to the Sports Kiki each and every Saturday, the best way to do that is subscribe to the show. We are available on Spotify, Apple, Google, you know the drill. Download, listen, rate, and subscribe. So without any further ado, it's a long conversation, so I'll, start ba- so I'll stop babbling and get to Adam Crafton. He's coming up on the other side. Thank you, as always, for listening. All right, Adam Crafton, we are connected now. We cover soccer for The Athletic, and he's the author of the great piece that I was saying uh, in the open, uh, Confusion, Exasperation, and Dating Apps, My Month as a Gay Reporter at the Guitar World Cup. Adam, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to talk with you and see you. Um, so yeah, as I, as I said, incredible piece. I have a lot of questions, and I'm not going to fixate on this, but I was kind of struck at the start of your article... Um, you were given a burner phone, so you didn't have any apps on it. So you land in Qatar, you download Scruff to see what the scene is like. And you said the torsos, not too dissimilar from what you would see in London and other Western cities. But, um, you know, it's also so dangerous. And we heard so many stories about the abuse that LGBTQ people face, the entrapment that they face. But yet you said there are still people on there looking to hook up. I know you talked to a number of gay Qataris. So what did they say about that? What did, why, why is there, you know, like, a, like yeah, I guess what, what do they have to say about, uh, about all that? Yeah. I suppose we often talk, don't we, about an LGBTQ community. Um, yeah. and I'm not sure it's possible to necessarily talk of a community. What, what I can speak of is a lot of individuals who have same sex attraction. Um, you know, some of whom wouldn't even necessarily, define themselves as gay um which can be quite hard to listen to right you know for i suppose people like us coming from where we do you know we kind of you know if someone in london was saying oh i'm attracted to men but i'm not gay i'd be like here we go right but but 
but I, I think you have to sort of understand the context and the culture and and the challenges um, and all of those things. But certainly, you know, I mean, whether it was on uh, Tinder or Scruff or, or, or Hinge, like, I mean, you know, there was hundreds and hundreds of men to swipe through, right, throughout the month. And some of those were Qatari men in thobes. Some of those were, um, uh, I suppose, ex- expat Brits that, that, that were working out there in Qatar. Yeah. Some of, some of them were visitors to the tournament. Um and I suppose the one interesting thing was I didn't see so much of like, I suppose those kind of very low paid migrant workers, either from Africa or uh, South Asia. And, I, and I, the thing that crossed my mind is, you know, if I'm a British expat working pretty comfortably, I don't know, for a communications agency that's representing the Qatar government, then that I'm not going to be disposed of. I'm less disposable to, to the Qatari government than if I am, you know, a Nepali right. uh, labourer that's on minimum, you know, minimum wage and is maybe deemed as more disposable. So those were the kind of interesting uh, dynamics that, yeah. that were at play. Um, yeah, I imagine there was a sizable percentage of expats. And maybe did you find that like there's maybe like an unwritten language that the ex- unwritten rule that the expats kind of have a little more leeway with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think also, I think even like, you know, the, the legal system is strict to, I think against if it's Muslim men right. who are, uh, or Muslim people who are committing um, inverted commas crimes, then if it's, um, I suppose me, you know, me or you, like they still don't love it, but um yeah. I think that's certainly the case that, you know, the, the, the kind of interpretation of, of the law is a lot stricter um, in that sense. I mean, it was interesting though, because, you know, when I went on the British foreign office, the British foreign office website, it just said homosexual behavior is illegal in Qatar. And I was like, well, well, I mean, that's pretty broad, right? (laughs) Homosexual behavior. I mean, what does that even mean? Um, Listening to Britney is illegal in Qatar. Sorry, Adam. Is it, right. is, it, is, it, is it Britney? Is it me texting a gay friend at home? Like, you know, I don't know. Um, is it me trying to see if, I don't know, if gay porn websites work in Qatar? FYI, no, they don't. They're censored. Um, you know, th- those, those kind of things, it's like, it's so broad brush. But it's, you also have these laws like, for example, sex, um, you can't have sex outside of marriage, according to the law, whether you're gay or straight right um so it, so, so i suppose if if you are a single um a single gay muslim man on one of these apps and making a proposition you're probably kind of multiply breaking some laws there um right. because you're both outside of marriage and potential same-sex relations um so so yeah pretty 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 rubbish really <laughs> Yeah, double whammy. Uh, I would say the Middle East, Adam, would not be great for me because the three things I love to do, drink alcohol, uh, you know, smoke weed. I can say that it's legal here in the U.S. And, you know, uh, have sex with men. And I can't do any of them in the Middle East legally. So I'm out. You could could try Dubai. Um, Let's see how you get on. Um, But, but, yeah, I mean, the the, the alcohol thing was really interesting because, you know, from my point of view, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of the same as same as you, but I'm currently in the UK, so I won't say the bit about weed. Um, but the, the 
the, the alcohol, what they did with alcohol was, was really interesting because it actually provided a little bit of a forerunner into what was going to happen in relation to right. uh, rainbow shirts, rainbow hats, anything rainbow related. Because for, for several years leading up to the tournament, Budweiser, a very long-term partner of FIFA, and Budweiser were going to be able to sell alcohol at uh, stadiums, at official fan zones. Ordinarily, that wouldn't be available in, in Qatar. And, and actually, I think you can probably say that, you know, of all the things that were being proposed, I mean, me not being able to have alcohol outside of hotel bars, for example, isn't, you know, it's not a huge, it's not a huge issue. Like, particularly if that's the culture of the country and it makes people feel very uncomfortable to be around it and... Uh, I don't. I don't think that's a great imposition. It's not a human right to have alcohol. No, especially um, Budweiser. I mean, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't ever have to drink another Budweiser. They can ban it for all I care. I mean, frankly, to tell you the truth. Right. And <laughs> and what happened then? Two days before the tournament was all of a sudden, alcohol that was going to be allowed in stadiums of fan zones no longer was. Right. Um, and as I say, it wasn't the sense of the alcohol itself, but it was this sense of these commitments or promises that have been made for several years in relation to things that we might consider sensitive to the Qatari interpretation of Islam. It meant that they were kind of changeable according to the whims of the Qatari right. uh, lawmakers. And right. that was something I'd always feared, to be honest. Right. I'd, feared, I'd feared a lot in the months leading up to the tournament, particularly when I saw kind of like representatives from the English Football Association saying, you know, we've been told that rainbow stuff will be fine in stadiums and telling, basically telling fans that we're traveling, you're going to be okay. And I was very, very cautious of anyone who was speaking on behalf of the state that wasn't offering clarity itself. Mm -hmm. um, and it really annoyed me because... I, I felt like I was, I kept tweeting about this and I felt like no one was really listening, listening to it. And, it. and it's like the last thing I wanted to say, I told you so on, but I just couldn't understand why there were these football organisations such as the English FA um, speaking on behalf of the kind of penal code of another state and yeah. saying, you know, this is going to be okay when you've got people who are going to be travelling thousands of miles and putting themselves in potentially vulnerable positions. And that's exactly what we saw in the end. You know, people, there was an English fan who ended up being stripped up, stripped by a security service because he had a rainbow shirt on. You ended up having, obviously, uh, Grant Wall uh, wore a rainbow shirt to a game and was briefly detained. Like, people, people had been told that this was going to be okay and that it wasn't. And, um, you know, that, that, that was frustrating. Yeah. Um, did you feel comfortable as a gay man walking around Qatar? Yeah, I did. I mean, street safety is not an issue in Qatar. Uh, and actually that became one of the, one of the great things that was praised about Qatar during the tournament. It was all, oh my God, I've never felt so safe. Like, you know, you could leave your laptop on a cafe table for an hour. No one would touch it. And it was like, no one was thinking, well, why is it so street safe? Right, right. Right. And, and the, the positive argument was, well, people aren't people aren't drinking as much. Actually, there was quite a lot of people drinking in hotel bars and uh, hospitality zones and things like that. It wasn't as widespread as, you know, certainly like the Euro final in, in England last summer, for example, which is an absolute shit show. But <laughs> um, 
but but there were people there were people drinking there was Arab people drinking there was Muslim people drinking I saw them <laughs> saw them drinking um, I'm not saying it was widespread but might it might it also be street safe because it's a police state exactly like, I, I was like, going to say like I don't think there's a lot of crime in North Korea either I think it's right. pretty safe. yeah exactly right. you know like we tried to get figures actually at one point in the tournament like how many people have been arrested during this tournament you know which is a very normal question to ask during a major yeah sporting event and we just couldn't get an answer on it it's like they just don't do the the figures um so no like but walking around as a gamer like, yeah i was comfortable because one i wasn't it wasn't like i was there with a partner right, right. so uh, to to the vast majority of people there i'm just a guy walking around with a right. fifa media pass on and right. to add to that i'm white and i found it a very servile society hmm. um particularly you know particularly the the kind of the security t workers and um as i said you know that kind of 85 90 percent of the population that's migrant workers it was almost like uncomfortably you know going above and beyond you know they kind of saw right. someone in a fifa pass and it was like going out of their way to 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 direct you and make things comfortable and, and on the one hand that's really nice on the other hand it's a bit like you don't have to do all this for me right um yeah and it was it was a little bit uncomfortable from that perspective, but so, but no, I, I never felt physically unsafe during the tournament um, at all. Yeah, it, that's one of the really interesting things about Qatar. It's as you so, said, psycholo psycho psychologically, yeah, it was yeah. very different. Yeah, well, well, yeah. How how about that? How is it so different psychologically? I know you said in the article that you actually encountered a rainbow sign that said like gays not welcome here right i mean that must have been really jarring yeah and and you kind of have to bring in i mean the reason that i, mean, I apologize to anyone who read the article and thought oh my god this is just so long but the the reason that it it kind of had to be as long as it was is that a lot of what happened in this tournament had a lot of context to it in terms of the right. way that it built up and built up and built up from the, this arm this rainbow armband that the european federations wanted to wear during the tournament. I mean, that goes back to October. It also goes back sort of several years in terms of, um, you know, FIFA kind of putting pressure on the Qataris to accept rainbow paraphernalia during the tournament. But yeah, I mean, this was, this was the day after Germany went out of the competition. And I suppose if you're listening to this podcast, you'll have probably have followed the World Cup to a large extent. Germany go out of the competition there was almost celebrations in Qatar about that because they were the one nation that after um, everyone else basically just dropped the one love right. armband, they put their hands over their mouths right. um, in, in protest and kind of kept the conversation going by doing that. Um, and there was a real backlash against it. Like, and it wasn't just a kind of, you know, the Emir goes on television and says, this is bad kind of thing. It was a real grassroots feeling. And it wasn't just... The Qataris, it was, you know, neighbouring states that had fans at the tournament as well um, that, that were really, really engaged in this. Like, to the extent where, you know, you had, um, like, people turning up to matches with cardboard cutouts of Meza Ozil, the former Arsenal and Germany international. And when Ozil played for, for Germany, he'd, he'd basically said that he feels like an immigrant when the team loses because of the way that he's spoken about. He's a Turkish... He's, a, uh, he's got Turkish Muslim heritage, um, just, uh, as well as uh, growing up in Germany. 
and it was like you know it was like people were sort of pitting islamophobia against homophobia um it was like mm. if you're going to raise this about uh gay rights then we're going to talk about um you know the way that uh german football has been islamophobic we're also going to talk about uh palestine all these palestinian armbands started to emerge as well right. so uh, a complete pattern throughout the tournament was palestinian visibility no like and with that like my view on all of this is kind of promote whatever you want at a, fo like a football match if you want to bring a rainbow flag bring a rainbow flag if you want to promote palestinian rights promote yeah. palestinian rights like, as long as it's not kind of yeah, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't probably have welcomed Russia flags during this during this World Cup, for example, right? But no. I think where, where it's you know, where, where there is this argument around suffering and humanitarian causes, um, which are you know obviously all of it's political, but that these the, the armbands appeared after the one love armbands. It mm. was a, you know, and several several people wearing them said to me like, if you're going to come here with your kind of gay agendas then we're gonna we're gonna put this in response and I, I found that I found that one like quite quite as that it was almost like we were being pitted against each other. But I was saying to the to some of these people like you do know like if you go to a Pride march in London or New York or wherever you go, like you will see Palestinian flags there. Totally. Right? Like one of my good friends is a gay Palestinian. Right, like you'll see, like some of the most engaged people in British politics are from the LGBT community who are sort of all the time talking about Palestine, and I just right. couldn't get that through to them. And I found that I found that very draining and very frustrating. Um, and then you always had Germany go out of the competition, and it was almost as though the conversation then moved to the reason Germany have gone out of the competition is that they were the ones that made a gesture in support right. yeah. of lgbt rights yeah. and you had and, and that was then made worse because you had arsene wenger former arsenal manager now working for fifa saying you know the teams that did well were the ones that didn't focus on political demonstration uh, and it, it was just like you just started to feel like so squeezed out and huh. so disenfranchised and so uh, so as though like people were just wanting to belittle it or mock it or humiliate it um and that's what i mean by it being like psychologically hmm. very very challenging because if you really start to think about it you just start to think well you know the, i thought we were all kind of like on board with this now from i mean that from a kind of a fifa western europe sure. united states point of view like i thought we'd all generally now like accept that being gay is a matter of nature rather than nurture. I thought we right. all kind of accept now that we need to create a better environment for the LGBT community in men's football. And all of a sudden it was like, all of that had been forgotten. Um, so, so when I then walked around the corner and the day after Germany went out and saw this little, this little sign, this piece of paper that had a rainbow flag and then it had a, a no entry sign over it and a cross over it and it just said, not allowed in Qatar. I was just like, like really? Yeah. Really? And yeah. I just, I'd never seen that in my life as well. You right. know? Like, yeah. And I mean, I was, and I, and I thought a, an interesting anecdote from your story was David Beckham about, you know, all the posters of him and how he's in business in bed with the Qataris financially. And he, of course, you know, I could call him 
at least at one time, was a gay athletic icon. You mentioned he posed for the cover of a gay magazine, et cetera. But like you said, like, you know, David Beckham is not gay. Nobody like affiliated actually. So like there's really, and that's the thing about Palestine too. Like, and you pointed this out in your piece, I think that like people speak up for the oppressed when they have skin in the game, when they are personally impacted by it. And I think what we saw in Qatar just proves that to be true, right? Yeah, totally. I I think it's one of the things that that all of us, like we all know it deep down, right? But we never really say it. This this idea that ultimately we, we feel most strongly about the things that we have real life experience about, right? So that's why Marcus Rashford can talk incredibly passionately about the impact of child poverty in the UK because he had that experience and he can relay that experience and it makes it so much more powerful for doing so. It's why Raheem Sterling can talk incredibly powerfully about the impact of of, of racism in the UK. Um, and, and the way, and I'm not saying that any of these people don't care about homophobia because I'm pretty sure they do, but I think if there was a player in the England team during that tournament who who was openly gay, I don't think everyone would have just stepped away from it. Right. Right. No, because, exactly. Right. Because you, you, you can humanize that culture war. All we ended up with was like this row about a fucking rainbow that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't even a rainbow. Right. right. <laughs> like the, the actual armband, if you look at it, it's just like a multicolored design. It's not a rainbow. Um, and and that made it really, really difficult. And so not only did you have no, I suppose, manager or coach or staff member or federation executive or player or referee who was able to, to communicate from a personal point of view why this mattered, that was, the, that was the first problem. And then the second problem was you're then saying, okay, if there's no one here with direct experience, is there someone with the requisite level of uh, empathy and courage to stand up and say actually this is why freedoms matter this is why rights matter this is why tolerance matters this is why it matters to talk about it here this is actually why we were we wanted to wear the armband no one actually explained that like there was always like conversation about oh they're stopping us wearing it but actually it would have been more powerful for someone to sit in a press conference and just explain this is what this armband means. This is the reason we're wearing it. This is the situation here. And this is how disenfranchised and alienated LGBT football supporters around the world are currently feeling. And that's why we wanted to show solidarity with them. And nobody was prepared to do that. Hmm. And it even reached a point where I remember going to press conferences where I was almost like, I felt like if I was going to ask about this, I'd be like the most annoying person in the room. Right. Like it was some huge inconvenience yeah. To, to, to ask about it, like just fucking stick to what we're talking about, Adam. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, even I went to because Arsene Wenger had said that thing that he said about political demonstrations, and I then went to his final press conference um, on, on the like uh, just the day before the final, and it was and I sat very very centrally. I think it was the second row of the of this auditorium. There was nobody like within three seats of me either side. They took around sort of 15 questions or so from the audience. None of them were British British media, I don't think. And I had my hand up for the entire 25 minutes. And I thought I was pretty like, you know, 
sometimes you're sitting somewhere where you think I might get a question, I might not get a question. Here I was like, I couldn't have been more obvious right. that, that I wanted to ask a question. And I started to feel like, and this sounds really self-important, self-absorbed, but I started to feel like they're literally not asking me on purpose here. Right. I mean, whoever the FIFA guy was that was hosting, it was like, yeah, because there was then a moment right at the end where the person who was sat three seats to my right, who hadn't even put his hand up throughout the whole thing, just put his hand up right at the end and was asked and was was invited to ask a question. Now I don't know if that's the case, but like even I think the last Gianni Infantino press conference, there were very few or even none, no press uh, no press questions taken from the British media, and it, it just felt like there was this move to just sort of silence right. this whole discussion and that all sounds a bit conspiratorial but but by the end that that was kind of how it how it felt yeah no totally and i mean what this world cup generated what'd you say how many what was 200 billion two billion or what was oh, no, the I mean, they spent i mean they spent the qataris spent 200 billion right uh, ma making it but i think what you also had is you, you had all these kind of teams that were involved that kind of gradually stepped away from the discussion but then you, you're also then looking at like ex-players, like is there someone here who might talk about it? And we, we did have that during the armband round where you had, it was actually Roy Keane, probably maybe the last person that some people would expect just because of his persona on the field. But he, he spoke incredibly well on British television, basically just saying like, you know, if you say you're going to go somewhere and make a stand, you make the stand regardless of what the threat is. Um, and you and you talk and you talk about that. So I thought that was quite impressive. Ian Wright as well. But then there was a lot of people that were just so compromised by commercial mm. agreements they'd made. Whether right. that was, you know, Rio Ferdinand, who has a currently has a documentary on the challenges of homophobia in football um, on one of the streaming platforms, was doing adverts out there for Visit Qatar. You had, you know, Gary Neville, probably one of the most eloquent. Uh, former footballers, he was on B in Sport, um, David Beckham, as I say, but you had like all these kind of legends just sort of revolving around the Qatar FIFA space, like uh, Figo, Roberto Carlos, Cafu, and you're just like, I, I don't know what I expect from these people, but when you've got all of those people on that side of the fence, that's what it felt like. It felt like you were having to speak up against all of these forces at the same time. Yeah. Totally. And and last thing I did want to ask you is, were you, I mean, you were there to cover the World Cup and all the trappings of it, but um, yeah. do, were you able to, like, I don't want to say relax and enjoy the football, but yeah, relax and enjoy the football and become engrossed in the tournament? Or was this always kind of at the forefront of your mind? I No, I mean, I there, there was definitely moments that I enjoyed a huge amount. And yes, some of the moments were, you know, when the Qataris talk about the first hour of World Cup, like absolutely, that was one of the highlights of the tournament. I like, seen the mum, the mums of the Morocco players dancing on the pitch with their sons. Like that was amazing storytelling and cultural storytelling, and I think a learning process for 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 a lot of us. And the fact that you had a lot of fans there from across the Middle East and also uh, from India and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Sri Lanka. These fans that would normally ordinarily just don't get access to to the world's biggest games. That was that was fantastic, and you had these like positive stories about um, Arab men, Muslim men going in, in mainstream media, particularly in Morocco, going as far as they did, which is so so overdue. You know, when you look at the framing of the past, oh, however long you want to go, really, 
Um, so, so all of that was was fantastic. I mean, the final was sensational to be at. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I was just between that and also between the kind of you know the treatment of migrant workers, which yeah. I did a lot of work on when I was out right. there. Like, I just found myself sort of constantly walking around trying to make sense of the place. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you have you have all these different things going on at the same time. And then also just kind of like chatting to, yeah, I, I mean, the Qatar, chatting some Qatari people who were, you know, heterosexual Qataris trying to, I suppose, just get into their minds a little bit and understand yeah. why do they think what they think? Is it, is there a world where that view changes? Is it just a regime view or is it a grassroots view? And probably the, the most dispiriting thing I found was that it was incredibly grassroots. Right? Huh. Like there was a conversation yeah. I had with a, I think I write about it in the piece with a Qatari lady that was, right. was you know, was hugely engaging, intelligent woman. And she would just drop things into conversation. Like, well, obviously, you know, if we have the rainbow flags, it clearly it's going to lead to paedophilia at some point. Right. Like, so I was sat in a coffee shop at this point. I'm like, if someone said that to me in London, I'd just leave. But, right. but you're kind of there trying to understand like trying to understand and then she was like but but don't get me wrong like i understand the animal kingdom and you know whatever you want to get up to in your own time that's it's nothing to do with me and i'm like i can't believe you're saying this like, <laughs> right, right, right. i can't believe you're saying that. and i'm kind of like but i'm also kind of curious to learn more about you as in how you've come to this where, where are you reading this well why, why are you so scared of it um and, and what's the answer like, well, part of the answer, and I think this is, you know, this is one of the things that, that is interesting, is she then started saying, you know, you're, you're teaching people to be gay in Britain and the States now. I said, what, what do you mean? What do you mean we're teaching people to be gay? She said, well, you know, you're doing classes where you teach people about wow. being gay and there's books where you, know, wow. you put gay dads in them. And I was like, yeah, but that's, one, it's not teaching people to be gay is, is teaching people that, that we exist. Um, and also you, you have that representation and visibility in books so that if there's another kid watching it, he knows that that kid sat next to him in his classroom right. might just have a slightly different life um, and might just have a slightly different family unit. And it also may mean that, you know, as he gets to his teenage years and starts thinking about who he is, that he realises he's not, He's different, but he's not abnormal. He's different, but he's not shameful. Right. Um, and, and, and she just couldn't get her head around that. That was when I was like, I'm, I'm trying to understand people that don't really want to understand me. Right. And well, kind of how much of that do you want to do? <laughs> totally. But what's interesting is, I mean, that argument, you're teaching people to be gay. It sounds like that woman could slide right into the Fox News primetime lineup and be totally, totally cool. Totally. So it's very interesting how the talking points are how the they same. filter back, right? And, right. And, and, and I think, you know, we talk a lot about Qatar this month, right? But I think that this toxicity around the rainbow is something that is happening all around, in a lot of places in the world right now. You know, whether you talk about uh, Poland or you talk about Hungary or you right, talk right. about Russia or you talk about parts of the States, um, and I think that's a big, I think that's a massive, massive concern. You know, I saw, I came back uh, to Britain and I saw this clip against all my better judgment between uh, Piers Morgan oh, and Andrew Tate. 
yeah um this week where they were talking about uh the mayor of london sadiq khan and somehow this sort of rant by andrew tate ended up with you know and all he, all sadiq khan's obsessed with is the rainbow ideology and the rainbow flags and all of this sort of thing i was like how has the conversation gone from there to there in 60 seconds why why is this becoming such a right such a talking point on so many things again and it's almost like it's just thrown in as like wokery everything about it it's just wokery and it's uh, and that's that's the thing which which worries me because i think one of the impacts in the west of what's happened in qatar has been well you have to respect the culture you know you have to respect the culture which is basically you know to discriminate against lgbt people and there was a kind there was a that conversation that kind of two sidesness to it really started to come in by the second third fourth week mm-hmm. um and, and that worries me i mean the, the other thing i would just say is that you know when i was speaking to lgbtq qataris or others from from the gulf region you know one of the things they did say was actually there needs to be a little bit more consideration when there's western activism coming into the middle east about how we go about that and whether it's actually helpful the way that we do it at times you know i mean he was one guy was saying to me you know i i don't want to be subsumed into a rainbow movement from the west or a pride movement from the west any more than i want to be subsumed into um the Qatari interpretation of what Islam means from about me as a person. Hmm. Uh, and I found that quite interesting. He was saying, you know, I don't feel represented by, you know, the gay magazines that are sold in New York and the front pages that, you know, the white chiseled men, I don't feel represented by that any more than I feel represented back home. Now, you know, that that's one of those things where, you know, I felt a bit uncomfortable, right. Listening to that because he's basically saying, you know, actually all this thing the way you're coming here and you're saying you know you're helping and all this kind of thing well am i actually or am i do i just think i'm helping to save right, like, people who don't right, want to like, save them like, right? right like like the white savior complex almost. Yeah. yeah 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 and i think that's interesting and it was definitely you know there were people who were proud they were proud to be queer but they were also proud to be arab they were proud to be muslim they are proud to be Qatari. You have all these different parts of their identity that are kind of in conflict with one another, but they felt very affronted by, the, by I suppose, the relentless tone of some of the media coverage about Qatar and also some of the actually quite frankly bigoted coverage about uh, some of the Morocco players, I think, that was in the Danish and German uh, television at times during the tournament. So... I think we have to consider, you know, what is the most compelling, the most helpful way to help people? Because actually all that's really been achieved over the last three or four weeks, at least short term, visibly, is a stiffening of feelings against rainbows. Right. Right. That's that's all that we've really seen. Now, there may be behind closed doors more conversations about, well, actually all these people that are coming here and, we really wanted to have a good time with they all seem to think this is okay like are we getting this wrong i don't know like are those conversations taking place maybe they are maybe they're not but i don't know that was just i just think that's an important point as well 
Yeah, most definitely. People are nuanced. Very interesting. And another interesting anecdote was uh, men do hold hands all the time <laughs> in Qatar in the Middle East, but it's not viewed as a romantic thing, right? So that's interesting, you know? Yeah, well, I think it was it was less the kind of Qatari man. It was more the kind of South Asian, so Bangladeshi, India, Nepali, oh, uh, Nepali man, like so many. Just, <laughs> I mean, it just made it seem so ridiculous that we'd spent years asking, are men going to be able to hold hands in Canada? Um, all of this kind of thing. But yeah, no, I mean, and that's basically because it's seen as a sign of friendship rather than sexual orientation. So therefore it's of zero interest to law enforcement agencies. Uh, but I think that it's just a really interesting example of the way we in the West view social dynamics. Right. And we have to remember sometimes that's viewed differently elsewhere. Equally, would that view be different if it was two white guys from America holding hands in the street in Qatar? Right. And being affectionate. I don't know. I don't know because I didn't see it. Right. Um, so, so I th- yeah, it's just an interesting... It's an interesting observation. It just made me wonder how many questions to organisers of the competition had been wasted, um, sort of hammering down that point over the last 10 years and how ridiculous they must have found it and how much they must have been laughing when they came off those kind of TV interviews. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. The piece is Confusion, Exasperation in Dating Apps, my month as a gay reporter at the Qatar Mobile on The Athletic Now. Adam, this was great. Thanks for the time. Pleasure anytime and have a great Christmas and happy new year. Yes. All right. So big thanks to Adam for taking the time, being generous with his time and coming on the show. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Um, Yes. As I said at the top, no show next week. I'm off. So I'll talk to you next year in 2023. Uh, Thank you for all your listenership this year. I say it all the time. Um, and I do mean it, uh, you all drive this show because this show would not be very fun to do on a weekly basis if nobody was listening. And I see the download numbers. You are listening. You've been with us uh, since I launched the show in early 2020. So it's amazing. I love doing this podcast. It's, uh, it's published on Saturdays, so I typically record on Fridays. I typically like it to be my last work obligation of the week, and it is this week, as I sit here uh, on December 23rd into the early evening. Um, so yeah, it's always, it's, it's a joy for me to put the show out there. Um, it's given me an excuse to talk to so many cool people like Adam, like even Ben Miller, who we had on last week, um, the alternative take on same-sex marriage. Uh, it's just, it's great, and I love doing the show, and I look forward to a great 2023. So, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you want to communicate with me, the best way to do that is via Twitter. At AlexRumor1 is my username. And I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. So long. Happy New Year. <laughs>